This is the Soulpreneur Lifestyle Podcast, your go-to place for creative ideas on how to run your business in a way that lights you up and gives you purpose, all in a way that still allows you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And this episode is brought to you by the Floation.com Directory of Healers and Soulpreneurs. Imagine a resource where you can search for healers of all modalities to help guide you along your spiritual journey, or spiritual-minded professionals to help you with everyday life issues like your small business contracts and accounting. Wouldn't it be great to work with someone like-minded? Soulpreneurs of every profession, check out the Floation.com directory to learn how you can promote your business, products, or services on the directory to spiritual-minded people who are looking to work with you. Visit Floation.com today. That's F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N.com. A universe of opportunities awaits you. Hi, my name is Simran Bhatia, and I'm your host for season one of the Soulpreneur Lifestyle Podcast, and I'm excited to take you on a little journey throughout this year. I will be sharing my own insights that I have experienced as a small business attorney and a spiritual small business mentor doing one-on-one coaching, and I will also be interviewing lots of different soulpreneurs in different professions who are going to share the nitty gritty of how they do business, what kind of experiences they've had to get to where they are today. And I hope all of this is really valuable information for you. So come on, please join me. Today's interview is with Marty Batia, who happens to be my cousin. And he is an entrepreneur in the digital space, as well as his wife. And they are about to pack up their life with their three-year-old twins, sell their house, and move around the world as expats. And so we are discussing how they intend on becoming entrepreneurs who can focus and function from everywhere, and also why they've made the decision to actually embark on this journey and what they're expecting. So... For the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to just summarize this, but you're about to embark on a pretty amazing journey. So I will have you explain that yourself and then, you know, let's get into the questions and get into the nitty gritty of how you're actually making this dream into a reality. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So for your listeners sake, um, about, uh, I don't know, 120 days ago, uh, I went to London design week in, in September and I uh, came back home, lit up, feeling good, immersed in the arts, first time in a while, feeling good, pretty miserable before I left. Um, when I came back, it took all about five days before my wife and I got into a uh, benign, stupid, repeated argument about money and life and the grind that we were in um, and how it just doesn't fit anymore and I I went and walked my dog and upon walking my dog I had this moment where I was like what do I need to do to never have this argument with my wife again and uh, my house popped into my head immediately and then the next thing I did was picked up and called my called my dad first I was like I'm selling everything uh I went home told Megan she lit up like a Christmas tree because she had this plan a, a year ago um and and so it began 43 days later we were on the market uh, 104 days, days later, we were sold. And uh, on February 15th, we leave for Brazil first to travel around the world with our three and a half year old twins for two to three years, see where life takes us. Um, it may seem rapid and all of a sudden, but I mean, we've been probably building for this our, our entire relationship. This is Megan's dream come true. Um, and also very much has become mine um, for different reasons, but at, at the same time, we've been building this all along. So my company that I have now that I was resenting prior to leaving for London design week is now one of the key elements or axioms that allows me to do this. So sometimes it's just about circumstances that we need to change. And we made some of the boldest, fastest circumstantial changes we could think of. 
So you're talking about Digital Ninja, and you share a bit about the tenants on which you build that business, how it's kind of quote-unquote virtual nature actually really helped with what you're about to do. Yeah. I mean, Digital Ninja is a response to closing three, four companies in the 0809 economic apocalypse. Um, when I, you know, hindsight being 2020, I hated those companies because they glued me to a desk or in the field and emergency phone calls at 2 a.m. and working around the clock. And um, then in their demise, I ended up going back to bartending while I negotiated in court. And then I never saw my wife because I worked from 3 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I, you know, see her for an hour as we transition and then not again for a day or two. It, those were all the precipice, uh, all the things that happened before Digital Ninja that when I built Digital Ninja, I thought about the axioms in which I was going to build it. And one of them was completely in the cloud, no emergency service. And uh, I can work from anywhere at any time with a laptop and an internet connection. Um, and it took me seven years to, to build it into what it is today. I'm actually turning it over to my brother to run as uh, the new CEO. Um, and I'm taking more of a passive income from it, a small one that helps with this trip. But ultimately it was to build in the cloud. I saw software as services coming and now the new buzzword for 2019 and 2020 will be digital transformation and infrastructure as service. So everything in the cloud uh, it's not only where it's going, it's what's also unlocking this ability for me to do what I'm doing. That's pretty amazing. Um, and I've seen you grow it uh, all the way through. It's been just such a transformation for you as an entrepreneur as well, and obviously equipped you to be able to move around and, you know, go where you want to go over the coming years. But you mentioned that, you know, this was more of Megan's dream and you've now taken it on for your own reasons. What have what has that transformation been for you? Well, uh, this year in April or 2018, April was a really, really rough month for me. It was it, both the artist in me was kind of born and a part of me died Uh I lost a client and a friend to suicide and I lost my dog in the same month. And I uh, met a brilliant artist that was later to change my life that I didn't know yet. Um, but I, I got to a point where everything I could think of is no longer a solution, meaning my mind is exhausted. I, you know, this is my fifth company, 15 years in grinding. I'm going to be 40 this year. I'm looking at it like, what the hell am I doing, <laughs> you know, and, and not really, not really clear that any sort of solution I'm going to think of is going to be the solution I need. Um, and at that time, I was introduced to concepts like force dynamics, instead of these binary problem solution sets by my artist friend. And I began, uh, and my heart was broken, I didn't know it yet. Uh, I've lost friends to suicide before I, I, I thought I was more equipped um, but it broke my heart and I started to wander a bit. I started to turn the company very transactional. That was by design through some coursework that I had done and um, simplified and focused it. My brother was already taking over most of running it. So I started to kind of wander. <laughs> I actually wandered the city of Chicago quite a bit. In like July, I think I walked 120 miles tracked by Google um, because I can work anywhere, <laughs> right? And so I would have my laptop and my backpack and my cell phone and my Wi-Fi, you know, my tethering. And I, I just, I, I love street art and I'd wander and I'd find that and sit in front of something inspiring and do some work and then get up and do something else. And it was when I discovered that I wanted to follow and practice the art of being led by my heart and what I'm compelled to do. And so when my mind got out of the way and started being secondary, um, I started to do things that are more inspiring for me to do. And one of those things is travel. And, and uh, then came London Design Week in September, which shifted my entire perspective, reminded me of my love of travel and inspired me to realize that, that I'm like a street kid. I can be anywhere. And I've built a company that allows me to be anywhere. And my skills are digitally transferable anywhere in the world. Besides the operations is everywhere. So I, it just was the right time. 
And now, like for me, it's really inspiring to see and to take a backseat to Megan's ambition because I've kind of decided to challenge being ambitious altogether. Um, I'm kind of throwing ambition out the window. Uh, looked up the etymology of that and it turns out to be a lot about arrogance and is a big reason why our capital model is unsustainable because it's just all about consuming. Um, and so looking into these spaces of force dynamics and the wandering and what this unlocks for us is an opportunity for me to test the idea of being a creative force and allowing things to emerge on their own. And kind of that's the, 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 fundamentals of the idea of force dynamics it's much more the the chinese medicine way where it's uh uh as one of my my podcast interviewees uh would say it's social acupuncture where you can drop a needle in a flow and create the meridian of flow or you can stop a flow and and then you allow that to emerge however it emerges and this is something that i'm graciously accepting as my opportunity to flex in the world and i'm going to try it so now it's my dream. That, yeah, that all sounds really amazing. And I remember when you told me about this idea in September, like I was not surprised at all. <laughs> I felt like this is just, you know, a natural continuum for your marriage and how you're raising the kids and all of that. But beyond dreams, there's like so much that goes into the logistics of making this dream a reality. So can we right. talk about that a little bit? Like what have you been doing and planning and what's the really nitty gritty that if somebody else is inspired to take a similar action and maybe not for as long or just even go on a trip and they have kids, like, what do they need to do? Well, first of all, I don't know if you can hear that. That was my dog lapping up water as if we never gave him water before. So this is part of being a mobile entrepreneur is like you work anywhere under any circumstances. And I think one of the first things we need to do is forgive each other when there are natural life interruptions. So I have a lot of clients that um, are also mompreneurs and things like that, or just entrepreneurs who are moms. I think that's kind of the way I see it is uh, and babies cry and things happen. And, and, and ultimately we just got to work with each other on it. So, so that's that. And, but the logistical part is something that um, one it requires you to, to get real about your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, and then build up your strengths, leverage your strengths, and hedge your weaknesses out is kind of the way to do it. A lot of people will try to turn weaknesses into strengths. I think that's we're weak because we choose to be weak in certain areas. So like we, we can do anything, but some areas are just not inspiring to us. So it's almost like resistance when you just resist the weakness, right? Just accept it and move forward. Right. And so they're like, I have unlimited energy to a fault, right? I don't sleep very well. And so I also quit drinking and all these other things that put me into the physical state where I could walk 120 miles in July. And so I knew one of my strengths is physical energy. And I knew that uh, one of my weaknesses right now is that answering benign emails is like deadlifting 500 pounds. I just can't, it's like killing my brain. So I just switched gears and I said, all right, you know, uh, I asked Megan to take the lead on some of the stuff that was much more like get some paperwork done and that type of stuff. And then I went to work on the house and cleared the deck for 43 days. In that time, uh, we changed the value system one. And, and I think this is really important. What are your values in your mobility? What are you valuing uh, about your life that made you inspired you to do a job that could build around those values? I think we also inherit other people's value systems because it's kind of indoctrinated in. So when we started evaluating experiences over objects, every object felt like a weight. And so one of the things that I created was this thought of if I'm going to travel, it's got to be lightweight. So digital minimalist amongst the name of digital nomad is also really important. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they get started, are like, I'm going to build the command center, right? And it's got you know, two monitors, everything going on. And that's great. You get, you know, we have a production center like that for digital ninja. That's like a powerhouse machine. But I challenged that. And I started thinking, what's lightweight? What's lean? What? Uh, what allows me to be in the cloud. I, I generally post-produce my stuff on a Mac. Well, I don't want to carry a Mac. Those are highly stolen, you know. So it's a pixel book. Uh, 
Chromebooks are the shit. I know there are kids in the car. I apologize. Bleep that out. Chromebooks are awesome. Um, they vary in price. The Chromebook Pixelbook made by Google is considered overkill by a lot of people. But for me, I replaced a Mac Tower with this because I'm doing Android apps side by side and I can do all my post-production with Android apps and Chrome browser apps. And so ultimately I have a 2.45 pound powerhouse machine that lasts 10 hours and boots in 10 seconds and I can wipe it clean. It's just the device of the future. So part of it was doing my homework, making sure I had one device that did a lot, making sure I could pack everything in a backpack and have leftover space so that it's not a backpack that's weighing me down, but one that I'm like, oh, that seems very light, right? I think all in my backpack's like seven pounds, right? With the weight of the backpack. <laughs> and so like- Pretty impressive. It, 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 you know, it's being thorough and not kind of getting sucked into, I need 10 devices. Like you don't need a brand new MacBook. You don't need, you know, definitely don't buy a PC. <laughs> Those things are like Microsoft hasn't launched anything good in years. Um, in fact, like their brand new browser edge is being abandoned to build a new one with Chromium, the base of Chrome. <laughs> so at the end of the day, everything is going Chrome. So just don't buy, you know, really go and find the, the life hackers out there that are minimalists and follow the minimalist and build up from there. Right. Because the, the the other part of this is I purged a four bedroom, three and a half bath, two car garage house down to we have three suitcases, two carry ons and four personal backpacks. And that's all of our stuff. So this really impressed me. We talked about this yesterday because you were over with the family and cooking for everybody, which you love to do. And we talked about what you're actually taking from your kitchen. Oh, yeah. You. Can so we, that, can yeah. You, yeah, can you elaborate this? Yeah, so um, one of the things that I would highly recommend if you're going to do a grand adventure like we are is do a pre-launch um, in your hometown, right? So we didn't do this on purpose, but we sold the house on January 9th. Like we're homeless at the moment, right? I've just, I'm sleeping on my dad's couch tonight. I might sleep on a friend's couch in the next two nights. Like we rented Airbnbs. We've got last minute hotels, stayed with in-laws. Like we're, we're sometimes with the kids because sometimes with the grandparents, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're solo with the kids. Sometimes we're together. But the cool part is that now we're testing what we're taking with us to an Airbnb. So if we forgot something, great. We're like two minutes from a CVS or something, right? Where we can now like plan better. But one of the things I realized really quickly was I love to cook, but the stuff we're going to run into in an Airbnb is like the lowest of lowest of quality. It's not necessarily going to be a complete set for something like I would want. So I went minimalist, but what's a minimalist kitchen for me. So I, I, my favorite skillet with a cover, a set of these really smart four type of cheese graters, mandolin type of things that fit in a plastic container that are really lightweight, a peeler, a whisk, a spoon, my utility knife, a paring knife, a cutting board, a small like little cutting board, a sieve, like things that I know I can create a hundred meals from, things that I know like are hard to improvise. It's hard to improvise a sieve. It's hard to improvise a can opener. These are the things that like you learn when you travel. But now I've got it all packed into it, like a small space at the bottom of my overall carry backpack. Like I have one of those hiking backpacks. Um, and I've used it now as I've traveled between apartments and legitimately I, I, it is key to be able to travel Airbnb and cook. Um, a lot of people go and travel and they, they, eat out a lot. But I think one of the reasons that we're able to do this um, financially is because I love going to the markets. I love going grocery shopping. I, I love figuring out new meals and I cook like five or six days a week. So we can save a lot of money because not everything is whole foods prices for organic when you travel. A lot of it's just organic. That's a really good point. Um, so getting back a little bit to logistics, you guys obviously had to do all of the stuff that was involved with decluttering the house and just deciding what to keep and then also selling the house. But then after that, you're, how did you decide which countries you want to start with visiting? And then what was involved with actually, you know, being allowed into each of those countries and how long can you stay for each of them? Do you know? Those are great questions. Uh, to start off with, 
um, the United States passport gets you very far right now, right? Um, so even though this country is a dumpster fire at the moment and culturally burning to the ground, uh, there's some value in having money made in U.S. dollars and spending in pesos, hey eyes, and things like that, um, rupees, as well as uh, the entry into most countries. Like you know, some countries like we're starting in Brazil uh, have kind of a retaliatory visa because because the U.S. is so terrible to the Brazilians. But like Chile has no entrance fee and nothing, but you need a passport. Um, Argentina has just a fee at the port, doesn't need a visa. So it's about being flexible in where we go. Um, the reason why Brazil and kind of the order of what we're doing and what I would recommend to anybody uh, just in life is to host people. Like we've, you know, Megan lived uh, abroad and studied abroad as an 18 year old high school student, did a second senior year in Belgium with host families, did a year in Barcelona and, uh, when we broke up because she was in college, at the end of college. <laughs> Um, she benefited, I mean, she speaks five languages. She benefited so much from doing that. But then there's also host families that are like sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts and moms and dads in Belgium that host us. And then she was the director of youth exchange for a nonprofit and a Rotarian and all these things. So we hosted probably 30 people at least over the course of time that we lived in our house, um, from all over the world and now it's paying dividends because we're being invited everywhere and we have liaisons to help us get acclimated wherever we go. So Brazil, we have a great friend that's helping us out. It's already helped us find our apartment. We're going to do 60 day sprint there. Most places will allow you 90 days on your tourist visa. Most places will also allow you to extend that to 180 days with a letter or it will just 180 days where 90 days at a time, so not 180 days consecutive, but 290 day sprints. So you can simply leave the country and come back after a week and you're, you're back in your tourist visa. So we're going to stay inside those tourist visas. We're not planning to work inside the countries that we're at. We're working from home via the internet um, so that we're not worried really about the tax benefit, the tax liabilities. So we're really getting taxed in one place. Um, some people have to worry about that. If you're working in another country and making dollars there, you're, or whatever money there, you're going to get taxed on that. And then it's going to get taxed again at home talk to an attorney or an accountant. I don't know how any of that shit works, but at the end of the day, or that stuff works. At the end of the day, I would, I, it really is about having some liaisons and being flexible. Like we know we're going to Brazil and we, and we have our tickets there and we have our tickets one way to Chile and that's it. And like everything else is maybe we meet somebody and we're like, Hey, let's go to Lima or let's go to Ecuador or let's go to Costa Rica. And then, you know, and then we're going to return uh, home for June, July, do some birthdays. I have a speaking gig in July in Chicago. And then, you know, we get some vaccinations, we get all the stuff we need, get our visas and passports renewed and then we're off to Europe. So do you know someone in all of the countries that you have planned out right now? Yes. Yes. So we have people in, uh, uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil, Chile, uh, the UK, all over Ireland, uh, Holland, Germany, Belgium, Spain, France, India, Italy, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Tokyo, India, uh, Thailand, like all of those places, uh, Mozambique, Kenya, Senegal, friends in all of these places that we've met over the time. So we've got uh, plenty of opportunity and plenty of people opening an invitation to us. So it's, it's, you know, the three and a half year old twins that are cute by us uh, a lot of access because everybody wants to meet them. Uh, so that's kind of the way we're doing it. So, um, so first this question and then kind of moving on to the twins, but what would you suggest for someone who doesn't have this many connections, but they see this being part of their life path that they want to travel and, you know, have the trip unfold naturally? Like, what could you suggest? Because you've done a lot of travel also just backpacking and like things where you didn't know someone and you met people in hostels and things like that. So what can you recommend for them? So I always, uh, I think that, especially in the United States, we need to adjust our perspective to the word practice. And we need to engage in always being at practice and never being perfect, right? Um, 
being at practice and always being at practice allows us to do things in much smaller increments. I think we in the U.S. are like, we're going to make a billion dollars. We should be like, we should make a dollar, make a dollar first, you know, and then make two and then make three. And then just like in traveling host, you want to be brought into someone's home, bring someone into your home, right? You will be bit by the travel bug simply by having dinner with your traveler in your own home. And hearing that global citizen light you up and give you tips. And by the third person you host, you'd be like, shit, I have my passport, my ticket ready. Like, you know, get, get flexible. Don't worry about your destination. Focus on the journeys. And then you can go anywhere. Like, you know, I went to London Design Week and a $399 round trip ticket through WOW Airlines to fly through Iceland. You know, dealing with a little bit longer of a layover flying a budget airlines, knowing what you're getting into flying a budget airlines, you know, like setting expectations correctly. You can get anywhere. I mean, while, while airlines is struggling, it threw out a, a promotion of $150 round trip tickets to mainland Europe to like Holland. And then they got a $34 million round of investment. They're honoring all those tickets and boom, you're, you get to Holland for $150 round trip. You can go anywhere. And then once you start connecting to people, you start learning about the networks that are out there um, that, that support this kind of travel. And then once you become a global citizen, you know when you meet another one and guards come down pretty quickly. People get pretty vulnerable with each other really quickly. And then friendships are made really fast that last a lifetime. And then you'll be invited. That's amazing. So let's talk about the twins. They are amazing. Um, and three and a half right now, yeah, so for the summer. Um, how are they, you know, understanding this idea? What do you think they're feeling about it at all? And what are your plans for helping them assimilate as you're moving around? Um, well, I think, you know, at first... And we're like, oh, we're selling the house. And Sebastian was like, no, you know, like, I want to stay here. Um, Kira, my bold daughter, is like, yeah, let's, let's go to Brazil. She's like, do they have horses, zebras, and unicorns there? Because if they have those, we're good, right? Like, <laughs> that's kind of her mentality. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about the unicorns, but uh, so ultimately, uh, what we did was we just explained what home is to us. And that the house is an object and that having a house in one place for too long is actually not much fun. And then slowly but surely we're like, yeah, we're going to, we talked about the activities that we're going to be doing in Brazil, like, you know, the beaches and the sand, and we're going to take some dance classes and we're going to do some art and we're going to, you know, check out stuff that Sebastian likes and Kira likes. And so now like they're excited about it. They're, you know, they, we made them part of the packing. Like they have their own little backpacks and they're like, they, they say they're practicing all the time. I'm ready for Brazil. I pack my backpack. I'm ready for Brazil. So we've been campaigning this, this travel. Um, and then when we sold the house, they were easy. And then when we got, and now that we're bouncing around from apartment to apartment and couch to couch and hostel, hostel and all that stuff, they, uh, they're excited and they're doing really well. Um, I think one of the things I would highly recommend to your audience, this is a very personal opinion. Yeah, don't don't buy into that you need to send your kids to preschool to acclimate them to other kids to be two years old because a kid knows how to be two years old. Acclimate them to multi-generational people. They're adults and elderly and teenagers and kids of all ages and force them to communicate because I think it's one of the strongest things our kids have going for them is that they're less with peers their own age. And so they adjust so quickly to people of all ages that we're pretty satisfied with that. And then get language going early, any language. And don't worry about it because the kids will just keep, like they pick it up fast, 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 especially because we've always been working with Portuguese and Spanish in the background. Um, it, it, it just worked. Now they're, they're just, they're stoked. We're ready. They are pretty pumped up. Um, so let's talk parenting for a second while you're on the move. I know a lot of people are always concerned with providing stability for their kids and, like you said, a school system or some kind of daycare. So how do you feel like your parenting is going to either be impacted or change 
for the better? Um, or like, what are your plans for kind of handling things as they're going through a pretty, you know, um, imperative stage still of their life? Well, I think it's this concept of throwing out all maps that we've been indoctrinated with and building strong compass points by developing meta skills. And I think parents uh, bought into the wrong stuff, right? Uh, we're going to teach our kids instability, right? Stable is where we need to be emotionally and as a unit, as a family, right? But logistically and circumstantially, stable makes you weak. Life is change. I consider myself a futurist in tech. The future is coming at a pace that humanity has never experienced before and the average person's head is spinning. And we're just jamming in as much as we possibly can. But it's because we're trying to look at everything that's coming our way. And instead of developing more of these heads up compass points and what do we value? Well, we value change and we value conflict management and culture, language and communication and perspective and uh, food and nature and social good and all of those things and those and art and music and the things that we enjoy as humans. And those are the things we're going to focus on teaching. Um, we, we really think that with strong compass points, good values and good meta skills, we can drop them into any schooling environment and they should be able to navigate. Um, not always happily, but sometimes we'll navigate. I mean, school sucked for me, so I'm not really worried about that. And then, you know, to be really, really serious, but also very probably contentious, I don't want to send my kids to school with an AR-15 and a flak jacket. And this country doesn't provide anything I think that is appealing to me anymore. And uh, the education that we're teaching is antiquated. And robotics and machine learning and AI is coming. It's here already. Uh, we need to learn how to interface with computers and robotics with conditional logic and understand the underpinnings of code if we are to survive in the future. Um, otherwise, you're going to build a kid that's going to probably be on universal income and probably struggle finding a place in the workforce. Um, and without work, we kind of get fancy and benign and do dumb shit. So like, unless we really take this cultural growth into the arts, which we could all hope for, I think the best way to prepare my kids at least is to uh, take them out into the world that's becoming more and more global by the second um, and teach them how to interface with it rather than the Magna Carta was written in 1215 and is manifest destiny and is why, you know, air Trump is doing what he's doing. So I love this idea that you need to be emotionally stable more than just needing a set physical location to be at. Um, but going into logistics with the fact that you do have kids, I know you guys can both work remotely, but what are your plans for childcare? Well, it's so much cheaper in Brazil. I, you know, like people are like, you're so bold for taking this scary leap into this adventure. I'm like, you're so bold for staying on the crashing train, right? Like I don't know why we chase the debt we do. Like our healthcare here is ridiculous. I'm going to Brazil all in daycare. So like having a nanny, part-time nanny, uh, school, so we're sending them to art school and language school, uh, our apartment, all our utilities, our general cost of living, all in. It's like $2,500 a month, US dollars, because our money is four times as powerful down there and things are less expensive in the cost of living in that case. You don't buy clothes in Brazil. Brazilians come here to buy clothes. So we buy, you know, knowing where to spend your money and where it's going to be more valuable um, is really important uh, in the process. But yeah, we have, we can have a luxury lifestyle on 20% of what it cost us here. I was dying, you know, like to make three grand a, nut, a, nut, uh, a month to cover my nut is so much more manageable than 25 grand a month to cover the nut, you know, like I, um, by leaning out myself, I leaned out my payroll for my company to give my brother more to run more to, you know, like there's just so much uh, benefit to this financially. It, it makes sense. You just have to be willing to culturally uproot yourself. And, and I'm going to go back to that. We trade emotional stability for circumstantial stability and the circumstantial stability is a false positive. 
Makes sense. So is there anything else that you want to share about just, you know, the actual planning process or how you anticipate um, panning out? Well, I think it takes a village, right? Like uh, you have to enable help. And I'm going to give this to, um, I'm going to be so bold as to say, I kind of know your audience a little bit, right? I've, I've worked with a probably 80 plus startups and 80% of them being female owned companies, quite often moms. Um, I've seen the grind. I've seen the hustle. One of the things that entrepreneurs in particular, women in particular, uh, not to be masculine in this, but my observation is that uh, we don't ask for help. Uh, And we don't ask for help because we think that that makes us look bad. Um, But a lot of what I've had to encourage uh, the women I've worked with to do is ask for help. And a lot of the men to put down their guard to ask for help. Um, And I don't blame the women as much as I blame the men because men have it easy. Women often ask for help and then get talked down to or mansplained. (laughs) And and so asking for help can often turn into a negative uh, outcome. So it's who you ask for help, how you ask for help. Uh, my wife and I split a lot of the duties. I reach out to them. You know, our friends in Brazil have been phenomenal at helping us out because they know we need it and we help them on the flip side of this. So it's like being a source of help allows you to get quality help back. Um, also be vulnerable. You know, in, when you're about to do something that you've never done before that others have done around you, you don't even know what to ask. So being vulnerable and saying what you're struggling with will often lead to someone offering help you didn't even know existed, right? And so really engaging help and dividing and conquering. And um, I would not recommend my pace (laughs) to anyone. Um, You know me, I have kind of a Deadpool mentality, maximum effort, (laughs) you know, like endless energy until I crash. So when Megan's like, I think the roof deck needs to be power washed, like six hours later, it was power washed, right? <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, one of the things Megan has set uh, really firmly in our life that I love is 36-month goals, right? We set 30, 60, 90 all the time, whether it's fitness or life or business. And that's just as guaranteed, like 99% guaranteed you're going to fail. Um, and not be able to recover because you don't have enough time to recover, pivot, change. So 36 months is more realistic. So I'd start 36 months and work backwards. Our original plan to leave was 18 months out. It just so happens I'm so neurotic that we could do it faster, right? And um, when we started with the 18-month plan, it started knocking itself down because things got out of our way that we didn't expect to get out of our way. And as things just kind of fell and we got into flow, it just all became much easier. So a big part of it is losing the resistance, like just allowing even the negative shit to come up. Like we, there's so much emotion in selling our place. Like in, in some aspect for me, this feels like failure. Um, I was not able to maintain the cost of living. I was not able to do that and my business. I was not able to support my kids and my wife's ambition at the same time supporting my business ambition and all the rest of this not where we lived, not for what we had. So selling everything solved everything, but also hurt, <laughs> right? It hurt at first. And I went through a lot of my own insecurities and I'm grateful for having gone through all of them. They've made me stronger on the other side and, and I feel so much better, so much lighter. Um, that I, it, it's totally worth it, uh, but expect it and you know, have a support system for that too. have a good therapist, have good friends, you know, get a license at your local dispensary, whatever you need to do. (laughs) So speaking of being vulnerable, I can almost hear the audience that some people will almost just be afraid to make a decision like this out of fear of having to explain it to their loved ones or extended family and people who they're kind of concerned with what they think about them. So what can you um, recommend or suggest any tips for how to handle those conversations? Um, Yeah, it is. Opinions are, everybody has opinions. Um, 
what do you feel? Not what do you think? Your, your thoughts will, your thoughts precede your emotions and your beliefs precede your thoughts. All right. And what do you believe? What do you feel? Do you believe you need to do this? Is this your belief system? If so, what do people that believe that think? And then how should those people feel? You will become impervious to anyone's attack when you own your reason to leave. And you have to realize that it is much riskier. Like we just got interviewed for a book on risk, a sequel to a book on risk. Um, It is much riskier to stay in a known outcome than it is to step into the unknown. Um, if you know that the future that you hold based on the current maps is have kids, buy a house, get in debt, start a career, do this, then die. And that's not appealing to you. Then don't do that. And don't let anybody else tell you to do that because we are in the age of dystopia and the world needs a heart and we need to start leading ourselves with how we feel rather than what we think. And, you know, as a futurist, thinking of things like AI, we're birthing AI in the dawn of dystopia, which is why people like Elon Musk say fear AI. We haven't taught AI how to feel, how to love, what joy is. We can't quantify that because right now the world is very in lack in those places. So um, consider yourself a hero if you lead with what you believe and what you feel, um, so long as it's not malicious to others. Um, so I have some strong feelings about people that believe in nonsense, but at the end of the day, like if you're, if you're leading with your heart and you're doing good, screw everybody else, right? They're going to try to poison your thoughts. Those thought viruses need antidotes and those antidotes are your value systems. So hone those. Why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, and, and, and then anytime someone answers it, don't be afraid to just say no or, and nothing else. Like people are really bad at that, you know? They're like, no, and then they go to justify. There are two things I've been practicing lately, which is allowance and gratitude. I allow for anything that's coming, and I'm grateful for everything I've had up until now. Um, And the other one is to ask everybody uh, to lower their expectations of me to zero, right? Expect nothing from me, right? Because I will always exceed your expectations that way. (laughs) Change the way you feel about me. Um, And and really, like, take the leap. What are you going to lose, right? The guaranteed outcome is terrible. (laughs) The unknown is at least a chance at something different. And you'd be surprised when you take those bold leaps how aligning with your own self uh, relieves a lot of the stress that we get in the resistance. Like part of your your str- struggle with your career is the resistance to the known maps that suck. And you don't want to admit that, <laughs> but they suck, right? Like nine to five doesn't work anymore. Nine to five was built for an industrialized model where we worked in factories. Nine to five is the reason why we teach our kids in 45 minute increments with a bell and a five minute transition to go from one place to another. And we start when we do and we end when we do because we're building factory workers, but we don't have factory jobs in the future. So when your spidey senses tell you something's wrong, listen to them. Something's wrong. Do something about it. And when people get in your face to try to change your opinion and ask them whose life they're living, yours are or theirs. All really great advice to just follow your passion, listen to your intuition, and, you know, go with the flow. Let me correct one thing. Follow your intuition and go with the flow. So remove the resistance, right? Find the flow. This is a lot like that force dynamics. Instead of the binary problem solution, where are the energies and the forces and what energy can you create inside of that set of energies that nudges it and moves it, that gets you in the flow of it? But don't worry about your passion. Because I guarantee from the hundreds of entrepreneurs I've worked with at startup challenges that I've coached, at Summer Institute of Sustainable Energy where I speak, and all the startups I've worked with, You don't know your passion yet. Right now, you just know that something's wrong and you're going to do it differently. And we often get caught in this, I have to find my passion. And we suffer 
and not knowing what that is yet. The trick is get in flow, get into allowance, get out of resistance, and the path to the future will illuminate itself. I call it an identity crisis, entrepreneurial identity crisis. It's easier to know what you don't want than it is to know what you want, right? And that passion is the want. But right now when you're unhappy, it's actually easier to remove things. It's easier to purge. It's one of the things that my house has benefited from. Like getting rid of everything allows me to start from zero. There's no noise. When there's no noise, that's where I'm going to find my passion. I don't know where my passion is yet. I just know that I'm not in pain. So I can not suffer so I can breathe. So the second mantra I flow with with my martial arts is from Kung Fu now, which is strike from a place of safety. And if not in a place of safety, get to a place of safety and then strike. Well, if you're in transition, you're not in a safe place. If you're trying to create your passion from a not safe place, you are not going to do it. Instead, get to a safe place. Get things in line. Find your flow. Find a transaction that works for you for right now. Test things. Be realistic about things. Be honest if they don't work. Be honest with what you like. Be honest with what you don't like. And the path of your future will illuminate itself. Because your compass points will guide the way rather than these maps. And I think Stephen Covey said it, that uh, you'd rather have a strong map, a strong compass with like, directions and values than a good map because no map survives the battlefield of life. It's temporary and it only lasts for a certain amount of time. And when you get there, a strong value system will help you navigate all the twists and turns that are inevitably going to happen. So what do you value and why do you value it? And the more you know that, the more you'll be able to do whatever the hell it is you want to do and the faster you'll find your passion. That is wonderful advice. So as we wrap up, I want to ask a totally different question, lighthearted. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? So I knew you were going to ask me this. So I was thinking about this. So like, I don't need a ton of sugar. I was thinking about my, my fat days, like rollerblading at TCBYs, right? It was always like a, a, a chocolate and vanilla swirled waffle cone that put like, I don't know, 20 pounds on me in high school. But I I had to say like, yeah, it's the classic stuff. I think like, uh, oh, I take it back. <laughs> I know I know that my my weakness is salted caramel ice cream. Like that that just instantly I'll eat a pint of that. I you know I was gonna actually say I was thinking it was gonna be something caramel because. I remember when we were much younger, you used to walk me to Baskin Robbins. You remember from the Chinese yeah. restaurant that we would all go to? Yeah. And you were the one that got me hooked on caramel flavors. Yeah. And then also mint chocolate chip, I remember. So, <laughs> um, but it's good that you're living a really healthy lifestyle now. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I indulge. Um, <laughs> I indulge. And when it's, when it's called, uh, salted caramel, I overindulge. I don't blame you. <laughs> but, all right. So where can um, our listeners find you at on the Internet? So where's the best place to follow you? Okay, that's, that's still a, uh, a good question. Uh, right now, I have a podcast where I interview the brilliant people that I allow to change my life about the concept of life artistry. Um, as I pursue this concept of vigilante volunteerism that I've, I've been kind of birthing. Um, so that is a long titled podcast called Life Artists, Digital Nomads and Vigilante Volunteers. And that will be available on anchor.fm slash Marty Batia. I'm sure you'll link to those things as well as Instagram, uh, a digital ninja in the wild is me. Um, I am mostly using Instagram to promote things. I like that it's less contentious and a lot more artsy and photo-y. Um, so that'll be my, my place of peace. Um, I'm avoiding Facebook. I, uh, I am on LinkedIn for business. Uh, that's easy. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that like anchor.fm, find me on your, your favorite podcast channel. My podcasts are, are really brilliant people. Like the last couple um, for season two, I'm really excited to launch. I think I'm getting better at it. So <laughs> the podcast would be where to find me the most. There'll be a YouTube channel for us in the future too. Um, that's probably coming, but everything will probably pivot off of that uh, anchor.fm slash Marty Batia. Perfect. That will all be in the show notes. So I just want to thank you for coming on. You are really, you know, a perfect example of just how 
like you said, getting into flow can help you do all this inner work and unmask all of this stuff about what you want to do in your life. And now you're taking this, you know, maybe not a huge leap because it really, I think, was the culmination of the last several years of your life that this is happening. But this wonderful trip that you, the four of you are going to take. And so I just want to wish you the best of luck. And thank you for coming on. Well, I've never, never say no to you. I, I, I know what you're energetically up to and I love it. And I think the world needs it. And uh, I want to challenge your listeners to one thing. You, you all became entrepreneurs because something wasn't working, right? And the meme of 2018 that I'm living by is if you feel like you don't belong in this world, it's because you were here to change it. So be bold. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to say a big thank you for listening in. Without your support, there wouldn't be a podcast. If you've gained insight or inspiration from this podcast, please subscribe for regular updates and please share this podcast with someone you know who will benefit. Do you have a story to share about your own solopreneur lifestyle that you set up? Have a life or business problem you'd love a system for or want to be an anonymous caller for one of our live segments? Then go to your Anchor app or the Anchor website, find this show and click on message and record your story or question. You can also find the show notes on our website at flowation.com backslash T-S-L-P. That's F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N dot com backslash T-S-L-P. And subscribe to the T-S-L-P Insider to get a look behind the scenes of what it takes to bring this podcast to life. And get some exclusive offers that are only available to our email subscribers. Also, don't forget to follow at Flowation on Instagram to get updates about this podcast. Mm-hmm.